It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. The show that just won't die. It will not die. No, this is all I have left, Kahuna. Um, <laughs> behind the ones and twos, as always, one of the best sound engineers I know. One of my great pals uh, in this world. The big Kahuna is with us, as always. How are you feeling, bud? I'm good, man. Thank you for bringing in the beers. I now, need... if we're going to make you work on a Sunday, we're going we're gonna to have a fun Sunday. Thank I'll put you. put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and then also, to, to her credit, who also showed up with beers here today, at a shared universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Jersey, Mike and Ming taking great care of us as always, but we're joined by the meanest girl in the world. My sister Carrie returns to the show. How's it going? Not bad. I don't know what you just gave me as a beer. I don't know what I drank, but it tasted like Frosted Flakes, and I loved it. It was good. It was a IPA by Decadent. Uh, Wild berry smoothie. Who brought in Frosted Flakes and didn't offer to the fat fuck that is Big Kahuna? <laughs> uh, sorry, that's the problem. I'm very upset now. I don't know if I can continue this podcast. Well, they're making um, they're making the IPAs now to the point where um, they do taste like uh, candy. So we're actually um, there's in, one confused. Yeah, we're incentivizing yeah. <laughs> alcoholism. There's one that's coming out that fascinates me. It's it it supposedly tastes like Lucky Charms. That sounds disgusting. I heard about that one. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that one yet because mm. the big part of Lucky Charms is the milk mixed with the sugar, but no, I don't know. Sounds magically delicious. That's a <laughs> you should have seen the eye you roll. Were, you were uh, waiting on that one, weren't you? You were just sitting there like, I've got this prepped. I'm so good to go. And then you said it, and you just feel that just made you. We got to introduce our guest now, too, to make sure oh, we do this true. right. Um, the uh, joining extra us, voice. one of my great friends in the world, one of my favorite comics to work with, a guy I worked with. We had a great time on Friday, brother. Uh, yeah, Mr. Ted Daniels joins the show here. How you doing, bro? I'm, I'm good. How you guys doing? I'm good. good. You man. showed up in a. It's a Jersey-centric podcast that we do. So you showed up in a Jersey Devil's jersey. Yes. So I respect that one, my friend. Throwback Zach Parisi. And uh, throwback Zach Parisi. And not for nothing, you're giving us uh, time here on – yesterday was your birthday. Today's mm-hmm. your birthday celebration. Oh, happy birthday. Yes. Thank you. So happy birthday, happy birthday Ted Thank Daniels. You. Thanks for being here with us, sir. My pleasure. Yeah, man. Um, I'm excited to talk to – because you listen to the show, which yes. I love. Uh, and that's my new rule moving forward. No guests that don't listen to the show. Okay. So, so I have to leave? Simple rule. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a very simple rule. Carrie only listens to her own episodes. There's a little narcissism here. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> but uh, that being said, we have not tackled uh, one topic in particular yet. Uh, we have not talked about uh, a topic that Teddy and I are obsessed with, World War II. So really, not, yeah, it, we just haven't had anything that's popped up yet with that, and it's interesting because my grandfather fought in World War II. Um, he was with the uh, the Army uh, engineers, combat engineers, and he was a Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient. And I would sit with him and I would talk to him all the time. I love talking to World War II vets. It's because yeah. they don't know how we see them, so it's very funny because these guys will sit, like my uh, uncle Stevie. Uh, he would sit there. He's like, oh yeah, I used to drive the uh, the. Amphib, you know, the landing craft, he goes, I, I landed all the troops uh, in the LCUs on D-Day. Jeez. And I was like, Jesus Christ. So it's terrifying to land on the beach and have to attack it. Now imagine getting back into safety 
you, know, you drop off these yeah. guys, and now you have to turn around and go back and do it again. Because I have enough trouble in. walking on the beach yeah. now yeah. in the summer. <laughs> these guys are fighting and landing. Yeah, it's um, it's insanity with that man. But uh, the more you look at the personalities, though, it's very interesting because there's some big personalities in World War II. And the guy we're going to cover today that I'm fascinated by. Um, did you know anything about? Because you're you're a more learned man than most. I absolutely knew nothing about him until you mentioned his name, and and I've been reading a lot about him. He is a he is a loser, as we're yeah. going to confirm here. <laughs> uh, the loser scale, as Kahuna has uh, demonstrated for us, there's the the Charles uh, J. Gateau's. I love uh, that you brought this back. Yeah, like, uh, I love this. Is he <laughs> still the number one loser? Yes, I think he is, just because he was Manson before Manson. Um, <laughs> But there's a lot of interesting like, – sometimes we have sympathetic people here that people are like, I don't think he's really a loser. You're just being mean. Um, this guy's got a little bit of everything going on here. So uh, as you guys know, uh, I'm a diehard New York Giants fan. Um, Teddy is one of the true gangrene diehard Jets fans that Unfortunately. I know. Right? So a little shared history here for us on this one. Carrie, cheers for the Buccaneers because uh, our parents didn't like her as much. Um, <laughs> but uh, – Here's we're going to start off on this one. Bill Parcells coached the New England Patriots. You know, he was the Giants head coach first. Uh, coached the New England Patriots all the way to the Super Bowl in 1996. He would then leave the team the following year to coach the New York Jets. All right. He took with him to the Jets his apprentice of sorts, Bill Belichick. Belichick would eventually go on to become the coach of the New England Patriots, and they have won, at the time of this recording, six Super Bowl championships. <laughs> all right. Uh, while in New York, however, an unlucky son of a bitch – now had to become the interim coach between Belichick and Parcells of the New England Patriots. Ted, I know you know the answer to this one. Wait, oh, the guy who coached yeah, who was the coach after in between, Parcells? Yeah, so Parcells leaves, and before Belichick comes in, he's a famous guy, but he got a real shit raw deal on this one. I'll give you a hint. He won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll, poor son of a bitch, man. Could you imagine... Uh, knowing that if you had just been in the right place at the right time, it could be Pete Carroll's the greatest coach of all time that we're talking about. Yeah, He's a good coach. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's a very but, good coach. But he's not Bill Belichick. No, there is no Bill Belichick. That's it. I don't even think Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick. That's how crazy that one is. No, he would have run the ball in that Super Bowl instead of throwing. Ooh, throwing. <laughs> Oof. Throwing daggers right away, Kerry. Yeah. Why did you I like what you're Got to live up to my name. You are the meanest girl. That is true. Um, <laughs> now, not for nothing, as we uh, – the, the comparison I'm going to make here that's interesting is um, – while Carroll was in New England, he goes uh, 27 and 21 over three seasons and uh, results in his dismissal. So he takes a team that made it to the Super Bowl, barely makes the playoffs his first year, and then finally ends like 500. Mm -hmm. So uh, what winds up happening now is they get rid of him, and you need to have the right man at the right time in order to have success. So everything can be laid out there, but if you don't have the right people to make the things happen, nothing's going to happen. The best laid plans uh, aren't going to happen from an architect if you don't have a builder to make something happen. Yep. So – what winds up happening, Bill Belichick gets put in over in New England, and the rest is history at this point. And uh, that legend continues to grow, unfortunately. We're trying to woo the New England market to listen to this show. All right. <laughs> well, you got the wrong guy on with you. No, I know that. That's why you're, uh, you're going to keep us honest. Um, <laughs> so this is a very strangely similar case to a, a guy. Today's loser that we're presenting is General Lloyd Fredendahl. Okay? Weird name, Fredendahl, first of all. Not a, uh, and I don't know anybody named Lloyd, really. He sounds like he should have been on the other side. That's <laughs> Lloyd. Lloyd is like the name Murray. Like you really hope you don't meet any kids named Lloyd or Murray because yeah, then that just because yeah, yeah. then that just means your parents don't love you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a weird thing, man. But uh, today's topic is General Lloyd Fredendahl. He was uh, in position to be the hero of World War II until he was fired and replaced 
by the legendary General George Patton. Okay? Now, you're going to see just how big of a decision this winds up being as we unpack this story here. But we'll go to his early life if we can. Now, Kerry, you didn't know anything about this guy before we started either, right? No, but he's actually pretty fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a... There's a certain, there's a couple of qualities to him that uh, we'll, we'll get into as we go here. But Lloyd was born in uh, Fort, War, uh, Fort Warren, Cheyenne, Wyoming, on December 28th, 1883. Uh, he was born into a military family, usually a good way if you're going to have a military career. You wind up being born into a military family. This is very common. There's almost a warrior class of people, even in today's military. But his father, Ira, was uh, retired from the Army as a lieutenant colonel. And due to his strong political connections, he was able to get the endorsement of the Wyoming senator, Francis E. Warren, not Elizabeth, Francis E., right. um, for Lloyd to enter West Point. Because in order to get into West Point, you had to have a senator endorse you pretty much. Right. So, yeah. It's weird. Would, would any Still sen- is. Yeah, but would any senator endorse Teddy Daniels? No. Not no? At all. That's, <laughs> not at all. The jewel of Jersey City? They would just laugh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting here because now for, uh, Francis E. Warren signs off on him. And uh, Lloyd's mother, who's a domineering woman, as uh, we, we came to find out. Uh, domineering means uh, bitch in you know, Latin. <laughs> so am I a domineering woman? Um, I mean, I haven't called you a domineering woman in a couple of years. <laughs> Not to your if face. You feel that, <laughs> if you feel that's a better description, you do. You. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so this domineering woman, here's, a, here's how big of a personality his mother is. She actually uh, accompanies uh, her son to West Point, right, uh, to drop him off, make sure everything's okay here. But uh, – she goes ahead, she drops him off, and uh, within one semester, Lloyd drops out due to poor math skills. They literally talked about what a soldierly little fella he looked like. So he was <laughs> – imagine looking the part and then just being so stupid you can't you know, tread water. But supposedly he was good at everything else, but he was really bad at math. Carrie, do you know anybody else who was really bad at math? I think I do, yeah. K.P. Burke. Yeah. that's <laughs> Math is not easy. If I was good at math, uh, I'd be in medical school right now. Instead, I'm sitting here with you three shitheads. <laughs> I don't think you'd be in medical school. No, hey, that's, that's not a very nice yeah. thing to say. The, o- the closest you're going to get to medical school is being a cadaver. <laughs> 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 not bad, Ted. Not bad. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, now um, he gets uh, dismissed um, from West Point after one semester, and his mother then pressed and persuaded Senator Warren uh, to endorse her son yet again. Uh, that's what a big personality she is here. Gets the senator to sign off on him again. He gets back into school. He's considered to be a decent student in other areas, but he's so bad at math that if he had graduated from West Point, he'd be considered goatly, or even worse, the goat. Uh, you know what that means, Ted? It means being at like the bottom of the class. Exactly. Yeah. So at West Point, uh, when you're the goat, that means you graduated last in your class. Famous person who was a goat in American history who graduated last in his class, George Custer. Oh, I was going to say really? Grant. No, uh, Custer graduated last in his class, and we know how that worked out for him. Um, <laughs> like actual, he was also like, bad at math. There's only like eight or nine Indians over there. Yeah. Um, See, like a, wait, like actual last, like bottom of the bar- like the last person on yeah, the very last. One. So if they had like a class of 32, then he would be the 32nd student. You know what I mean? So he's the, the bottom of the boat here. Um, now it's funny too because when they talk about a goat um, nowadays, we hear goat, we think greatest of all time, right? Right, and uh, that's not really what it meant back in the day. <laughs> So uh, in order to avoid the shame of what he thought was going to possibly be him being a goat or goat Lee, meaning that uh, you know, he's going to be in the bottom half of the class, he goes ahead and he actually drops out. Now, even though Senator Warren is willing to endorse Lloyd a third time, Jeez. how annoying must his mother have been? 
Or how good was his mother. (laughs) I didn't put that on her. See, there's Um, normal relationships with your mom, and then there's... There's Norman Bates and his mother, and I feel like is this going to lean more towards Similar. Norman Bates and his mother? Well, because I like what uh, what Ted's doing because there's almost do you wonder if it's a Forrest Gump thing or if it's, she's just such a bitch that when hey uh, you know Fred and Dahl's on the phone uh, she wants <laughs> to talk to you about her son because just sign the letter whatever I have yeah, to do just, just I, I can't I'm not talk talking to her. to her so now this time West Point actually gets the endorsement from uh, Senator Warren. Uh, to put Lloyd Fredendahl back into the academy. And they say, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Not for us, all right? You're not one of our guys here. Now, it's weird because West Point, it sounds like a dick move, and West Point gets it wrong a lot. But as it goes, uh, you know, as the story continues to unfold here, I think we're going to realize West Point might have had a point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, okay. yeah, it gets a little bit out of control here. Uh, now, they go ahead, they say uh, no go, and he has to retreat to his safety school. Uh, now, we started off kissing the ass of Massachusetts and the New England people. Uh, Lloyd Fredendahl Safety School, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Yeah. Which he, he's bad at math. How did he get in? <laughs> I don't get that. No, it's, I, you guys are both right, too. It's very bad. I said that to my father earlier when I was telling him about the research for the show, and he just goes, huh? It made no sense to him, man. No. But uh, Lloyd was now, uh, while he's at MIT, he's undaunted by this experience. He decides he still wants to be in the military because that's what his dad did. You know what I mean? That uh, happens a lot. So he wants to prove himself. And uh, he's also, again, a soldierly little fella, as they kept <laughs> calling him. So if you look the part, you want to get, you know, actually do the thing that you do. Like I have no neck and broad shoulders, so I work in construction. That's just how it worked. <laughs> yeah, Fred Flintstone, that's how it goes. It's, uh, yeah, I get called Barney Rubble a lot. It hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> so... That's what happens when I grow my hair out. But Oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, I didn't know you heard us call that. <laughs> well, back to our boy Lloyd now. He is uh, undeterred, right? So much like uh, when I grow my hair out, I get called Barney Rubble. Uh, this guy's not listening, okay? He's, he's going to screw the haters, and he goes ahead and he takes the, uh, the officer exam. Does well in the officer exam. And through the ROTC program at MIT, he winds up getting himself into the Army as an officer, earns a commission as a second lieutenant. He actually placed first on the exam out of 70 applicants. See, so uh, all you have to do is just lower the quality of candidate. <laughs> and so West Point's worst is now MIT's best. Or he figured out how to cheat. <laughs> that could be Finally. it, too. Yeah, he sat next to Patton. That's weird. All of a sudden he's doing I'm going to go with the cheating thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, now it's interesting here. Lloyd gets sent overseas to serve in the Philippines because we had a, a conflict going on over there. That was uh, the second part of the Spanish-American War. A lot of people don't know this. The Spanish-American War uh, was fought and guaranteed the freedom of Cuba from control of Spain. And we were able to beat up Spain pretty good. But we also took on the Philippines as a colony. So we fucked up. All right? Because if we had taken Cuba as the colony, we'd all be going on vacation to the islands together, cigars, beautiful women. Uh, Instead, we went to the Philippines where it rains a lot. (laughs) But they're fascinating people there. Uh, Lloyd uh, gets over to the Philippines. He's later mobilized to the Western Front during World War One. Now, Ted, uh, for the listeners at home, is the Western Front in World War One a good place to be? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not a vacation no. spot? No, I would Aww. never think of going there. But it's in France. France is beautiful. War- <laughs> no, no. <laughs> There's so much culture. What was what Paris, was the, the city of love? <laughs> <laughs> what was the um, the death rate in World War One on the Western Front? Uh, the conditions were absolutely brutal, and uh, if you were, were actually on the front, um, you were seeing some crazy shit here. Because mm-hmm. as you and I are both listeners of Dan Carlin, according to um, the math, it's basically. Uh, 
according to the calculations, it's pretty much everyone. Yeah, the math was also done by Lloyd Fredendahl. <laughs> so, when they sent you to the Western Front, one of the things they had you pack was a body bag. Yeah. <laughs> You're Wait, not wrong. What? Yeah, that's a true fact. It's a true that's fact. A, get the fuck oh, I thought that out was a of joke. Here. No, that was nope. not a joke. Uh, pack your own body bag. Yep. It was not a good place to be. Now, where it would be a good, good place to be. Pack your own body bag. Good luck, soldier. <laughs> it's the only thing I'm bringing. We have faith in you. Dig your own grave. Yeah. Uh, oh, damn. <laughs> but if um, Lloyd actually found a good place to be stationed over there, because Lloyd is now developing a reputation while over in Europe, uh, he's an excellent teacher and trainer, and he served as the head of the overseas schools for the Army. So if you can be like, I'm off to the front lines to teach these other guys how to do the dirty work. <laughs> So, uh, pretty good gig. You have to have admin people. We shit on the admin people all the time. But if you don't have admin, people aren't getting paid. That's right. uh, supplies aren't getting ordered. I mean, admins, the, that's the thing that makes everything work. So, we would shit on the guys when I was in the Navy. We would shit on the admin guys a little bit. But they were always cool guys. And then on top of that, if you weren't friends with them and you went to them with a pay dispute, they're like, yeah, we'll get to it. So, yeah, six months. <laughs> yeah, never mess with them. Also, one of the best shots um, in uh, all of the Navy uh, that I ever, in my six years of work, the best shot I ever knew was uh, my buddy uh, Derek Bernal, who's a Dallas fireman. You know, I think I think he listens to the show too. So if you're listening, Derek, I love you, pal. Uh, but yeah, that was a, a guy who was secretary by day, badass by night. Hmm. So if you pissed him off, if he was ever an, uh, an office shooter, you know what I mean? If he ever went postal, we'd all be in trouble. So he's Batman, uh, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now Lloyd is over here. He's now on the Western Front, but he's in a comfortable place. He's teaching people, right? Uh, by the outbreak of uh, the war ends, he winds up getting um, promoted to lieutenant colonel. Made a name for himself as a quality teacher and administrator. Uh, in between wars, he actually continued to be in all these schools. And Lloyd found himself promoted uh, at the outbreak of World War II. Uh, America's still you know, neutral at this time. To a two-star major general. And was now placed by recommendation in charge of the 4th Infantry. The appointment was made in October of 1940. Um, What's the what's the shortest amount of time you ever spent at a job, Ted? The shortest amount, uh, year and a half. Year and a half. That's. Uh, I once lasted ninety six hours at uh, <laughs> at UPS loading trucks, and uh, when I say ninety six hours, I don't mean on the clock. I mean in real time, ninety six <laughs> hours. I was out of there. If if there was a four day weekend, I spent mine at a UPS. Two days. Two days was yours. They're short, man. Now, this guy's got um, an interesting gig. He gets put in charge of all this, and wait till you see how fast it all goes to shit on him. <laughs> like we said earlier, Lloyd has this good look about him, right? Uh, people often commented uh, on his confident but cocky nature and his stoic-looking face. General George Marshall, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, if you want to talk about having a, a friend in a high place, this is him, very fond of our boy Lloyd, remarking once, uh, I like that man. You can see determination all over his face. All right? So much like um, he sees something like determination right here. Uh, I've seen determination before on my sister's face when a customer comes up to her at the Home Depot and waits for her to acknowledge them. And Carrie's waiting game that she plays. Because <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, at the Home Depot. Uh, the you don't Home Depot, acknowledge customers. Yeah, don't acknowledge customers. Because <laughs> they might ask a question. Exactly. Well, Home Depot uh, employees, they, uh, their um, vision is based on movement, much like a snake. So. <laughs> or T-Rex. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, they like the way that Lloyd looks. And uh, Lloyd's an interesting guy. Because he looks the part, people want to tend to hire him for stuff. He's uh, got this bombastic attitude towards him, too. Everybody's like, oh, that guy doesn't take any shit. And it turned out he takes a lot of shit. So. <laughs> um, 
Now, he's considered by Lloyd to be one of the best, right? Uh, or they consider Lloyd to be one of the best, I should say. And he's not alone in thinking that by other referrals from like really good names like Omar Bradley uh, and then again George Marshall. When you're the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, you're listened to when they talk to you about stuff. Um, Eisenhower keeps getting all these referrals. Now, Ted, uh, you've been working as a comic for how long? God, it's got to be 15 years or so. Now, how many times have you been told, like, you got to see this comic. He's going he's gonna to be great with you. Let him open up for you on the road. You know, come check him out. 650,000. And he's blowing up, and then you get there, and he stinks. Um, 649,000 out of 600. <laughs> yeah, but you were nice. You, you, you kept me around a little while longer. You didn't fire me right away. <laughs> I saw potential in your face. That's a <laughs> Not bad, sir. Not bad. Uh, Eisenhower winds up uh, reluctantly uh, ca- uh, caving in and giving uh, Lloyd a high-ranking command in the Africa campaign in what was going to become known as Operation Torch. Ted, off the top of your head, what do you know about Operation Torch? Um, not too much. I it, it's, it's uh, Really, it's something that gets glanced over in the big scheme of the war. But it's huge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Operation Torch? Operation Torch. Torch. Yeah, I don't think we learned a lot about the African it's tour a, in high school. No, because no, no, as far really as Americans are concerned, it's very funny because um, Americans think World War II started with D-Day. Mm-hmm. They ignore everything else here. So when the Americans come into the war, they immediately are pushing, all right, let's invade Europe. And uh, the Brits are like, you guys don't understand. Okay, we've been here a couple of years. We get that you're full of piss and vinegar and you can't wait to fight. Um, but they're trying to figure it all out. Now, the Allied commands, so you have the free French people, the French uh, freedom fighters. And you got a lot of the other Allied commands. Uh, Canada's involved, the U.S. is involved, and uh, Britain's involved. We all have that special relationship too, where the you know the we kind of you know, we pretty much stole all of our military tradition from Britain. So, <laughs> yeah. um, one of the best quotes I ever heard too, by the way, this was in the book um, uh, Band of Brothers was based off of, mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, it was a really great quote. And they said that uh, the Brits and the uh, the Yanks, when they were training, you know, to come together in the war here, uh, it's interesting because the Brits were actually seeing combat. Right, and the Yankees, you know, the Americans hadn't really seen shit yet. So when they were training to get ready for all these things uh, in preparation for the eventual, uh, you know, D-Day invasion, one of the quotes from uh, one of the the Toms, if you will, because we covered this before uh, in World War One, the Germans were Jerry's and the Brits were Toms. So Tom and Jerry, the cartoon, mm-hmm. is the Brits and the Germans fighting each other. Remember, they're always trying to kill one another. All right. Oh, I didn't realize. Little tie on that yeah. one. Yeah. So makes you laugh a little bit. But uh, one of the great quotes I heard over there was uh, when the Yanks and the uh, Brits were being forced to work together, they were training in Britain. And the quote from the, uh, the Brits was, uh, the problem with you Americans is that you're, uh, you're uh, oversexed, overstimulated, and over here. <laughs> and the uh, American comeback was, the problem with you Brits is that you're uh, understimulated, undersexed, and under Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign too when you're like, hey, uh, you guys have been doing a great job over here with the war, but we're the new guy in town and uh, we got Eisenhower. Ike's going to fuck the Huns up. <laughs> Tell your guys to step down, man. So they all agree Eisenhower's the right man for the job. Eisenhower does not make bad decisions. When you look back, no. he does not make bad decisions. As a president, too, he's the reason we have the highways that we were just driving uh-huh. to get to this here studio. But, um, fascinating guy in his own right, our boy Dwight D. Eisenhower, but he's skeptical of placing Lloyd in command over his preferred candidate. Okay, uh, He has a preferred candidate, but Operation Torch is going to be very important because Operation Torch is going to be the Allied invasion of Nazi-held North Africa. They don't think, the Brits are trying to tell everybody, you can't invade Europe yet. The uh, Americans aren't trained, they're not you know, battle-hardened or whatever, we don't really know, there's too many variables. So let's invade North Africa instead. And then you can sit there and you can have North Africa. You can then invade Sicily and Italy 
and start kicking over Mussolini and all his dog shit. <laughs> so that's the idea here. And uh, it winds up becoming a, a – it's going to be a great idea on paper. This is going to provide access for the later invasion to Europe too because North Africa, it shares that coast right there in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So uh, as they're moving on, it's also going to be a, a three-headed attack, if you will. This will also help split the Nazi forces and ease the pressure on Russia on the Eastern Front like we were talking about earlier, Ted. Yeah. Russia, those are some bad motherfuckers. They, they were serious. Yeah. They uh, really were. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, invade Russia in winter. That just uh, – it seems to be – like the, the motto on the show is don't fuck with TR. But if we did global loser, it would just be don't – no, don't fight a land war in Russia in the winter. Okay. Never. No. It's just not going to go good for you. I mean – we're bitching right now. We're about to get three inches of snow. Imagine, you know, we have to eat each other to survive. <laughs> three inches. I do three inches overnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now uh, this uh, the Eastern Front's going to be eased off of the idea that the, now the Nazis are going to have to split their forces. And then also in addition, uh, you're going to have uh, – there's this idea that in North Africa, even though it's Nazi-held territory, uh, they're not really enthusiastic about it. So the idea that you could have uh, – you could be seen as liberators – that uh, the Allied forces are going to land there, and you're going to have the underground nature of the North African people who are all like uh, mostly uh, on paper French, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, and you're going to have this thing blow up here. So Operation Torch, very, very, very important. The feeling is uh, you're going to be able to have a massive success over here, and you can build off of that. You know, get a nice couple of wins you know, to go into a playoffs kind of a thing. <laughs> so Eisenhower is skeptical like we talked about here about uh, putting Lloyd in command. His preferred candidate is a guy by the name of Patton Carey. You ever hear of him? Nah, definitely not. Well, uh, he succumbed to the recommendation of his peers, okay? Well, so what's interesting is that Fredendahl pre-war rank was above Eisenhower. Yes. Which is, like, baffling. Well, it's like when um, – uh, I, I know we always go back to comedy here, but you'll see, like, a, a new comic get a Netflix special or something. You'll hear a grumpy old comic, like, this fucking kid getting a special. What the hell? Who's going to what? And you're just like, well, he's a pretty funny kid, so – Eisenhower, not a funny kid, but really great general. So, <laughs> but he was bitching a little bit about that because um, Fred and all he he's really good at excuses. He's like, oh, well, they're just they're not making me the Allied commander because uh, you know, well, you know, this and blah blah blah. blah. And they're going to have their own guys. They're going to bring in. Oh, you know, it's all rigged against me here. <laughs> uh, Eisenhower goes ahead, puts him in charge. Later, sends a telegraph uh, upon seeing Lloyd uh, and his organizational skills. So you can knock Fred and all for a lot of shit. But as an organizer, he was pretty great. So you want to do admin? That's great. You want to learn something? That's great. You want to do the combat thing? We'll, we'll mm. see how that goes. In a he minute. would have been a great yeah. wedding planner. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. And then you're going to walk down the aisle here, at which time the DJ is going to play this music. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine now the, the contrast to that has to be Patton as a wedding planner. I don't know what you want to do. Whatever. Fucking who cares? I'm going to ride exactly. a Jeep down here. My dog's coming. <laughs> I like that combination of things, too. <laughs> George Patton, wedding planner. So, What a reality show. It, uh, it would be a good one here. Uh, now, Patton, larger than life, as we're going to get to as well. Um, but now uh, our boy Fredendahl gets put in charge over here. And uh, upon seeing the organizational skills, Eisenhower actually sends out a telegraph with a singing endorsement of Lloyd All right, to uh, our boy uh, George Marshall. And he says, uh, bless the day you urged upon me this man, Lloyd Fredendahl. I cheerfully acknowledge my previous doubts appear to be unfounded. All right, Jeez. so he had one good show, Ted. Yeah, that's, all that's means. it. <laughs> he had one good show, and there's multiple shows in a weekend. All right? Boy, there's so many names I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> it's not burning bridges, all right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's American loser. Um, yeah, uh, uh, with a fraction of the listener race. Um, <laughs> 
another now. critique. Yeah, for now. Thank you, Carrie. That's very optimistic of you. Um, she's being nice to me, so she's about to be mean. Uh, another critique of Fred and Dahl. This one was. Uh, well, now she is. This one's interesting here. Uh, Ted Daniels, one of the greatest shit talkers I've ever met in my life. This one's pretty good. Uh, I would almost want to read this in your voice. Uh, this is uh, another critique of Fred and Dahl by one of his uh, peers. Small in stature, loud, rough in speech, outspoken in his opinions and critical of superiors and subordinates alike. He was inclined to jump to conclusions which were not always well-founded. Fred and Dahl rarely left the command post for personal visits and reconnaissance, yet he was impatient with the recommendations of subordinates more familiar with the terrain and conditions than he. So – this guy's a douche. He really is. Oh, I was going to say, oh, well, you describing Jeff Ross? That's a <laughs> <laughs> Up it's, until the military stuff, I was just like, wait, that sounds familiar. It's weird, right? Because he, um, he I came into this where I was like, maybe Fred and Dahl just had, maybe he got a bad break. Because a lot of the losers on the show get bad breaks. Fred and Dahl did this shit to himself. Um, and, and we're going to prove that here as we go. Uh, Eisenhower, in his personal correspondence, wrote that he still preferred Patton over Lloyd Fredendahl, but Fredendahl was like a close second, so we'll give it to him. Eisenhower's doubts would later prove correct at the Battle of Kasserine Pass in North Africa. Um, now, there's that great line in Band of Brothers, Ted, from Bill Garner, my favorite, possibly my favorite American of all time. He goes, uh, yeah, my brother's over in Africa. He says it's hot. <laughs> like, oh, no shit, it's hot in Africa. So... Uh, Patton is in charge of the eastern campaign of the invasion, and that's aimed over at uh, – have you ever heard of a, a movie by the name of Casablanca? I have. Yeah, this is where Patton's landing. Never heard of it. So, no, never heard of it? <laughs> never. Not once. Um, well, there's a great quote from that movie, uh, but the whole thing is just the idea of the Allied and the Axis powers and its secret police and underground spies. It's a cool idea. You know what I mean? But uh, now Patton lands over there. Lloyd and his men are part of the center task force, which is aimed at uh, Oran. So Lloyd had the 509th paratroopers, real badass motherfuckers. And then the, he also had the 1st Army, a.k.a. the Big Red One, okay, a legendary uh, uh, group. And then the U.S. 1st Armored Division. The men were prepared for tank, ground, and air warfare. Lloyd uh, Lance becomes the de facto governor of Oran because when you land with tanks and shit, people want to hear what you have to say. From the comfort of a ship. Also true. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the worst part, because you're right about that detail. We're going to get into how just how comfortable Lloyd liked to be on a battlefield um, or as far Off away. Off a battlefield. Yeah. Uh, it gets embarrassing for him, too. Um, he is mocked by his own men for living in a palace-like camp while his men lived in trenches with poor quality food. He lived in the Grand Hotel of Oran. That's what they called it, mockingly. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she's right. The Grand Hotel. <laughs> um, which always makes you laugh, too. Uh, Lloyd also develops a uh, reputation now for uh, not visiting the front lines and playing things safely out of harm's way from a distance and in large comfort away from his men actually doing the fighting. So Listen, I can't knock him for that. I would have been the same thing. <laughs> you, you say that, but I, I've seen you angry before, yeah. and angry Teddy wants to be right up there in the middle <laughs> of it. So all you got to do is get pissed off at the Nazis a little bit, and General Teddy Daniels is coming down with some fire. <laughs> they should have started calling him Princess Fred and Nall. Princess Fred and <laughs> That actually sounds, sounds good. Sounds more accurate, right? That is, uh, that's my favorite thing that uh, uh, we did in the military was uh, it, you would just uh, – and nowadays they would call it misgendering where it can be mm -hmm. a problem with the trans community or whatever. But uh, the thing that used to make us laugh is that, uh, hey, uh, where's uh, – like we'd make fun of my buddy Crick Nally. He'd be like, hey, where's Crick Nally? Tell her to get her ass over here. You know, and we'll get to that now. Crick Nally's a dude, so it would just be funny that way. <laughs> Um, now, Fredendahl lands uh, over here. He's in um, – leads these men into Tunisia, 
which we covered earlier uh, in a Barbary Pirates episode, uh, happened in place, Tunisia. Uh, they are against uh, the Nazis' command. Now, uh, you're a diehard Jets fan. Yes. Teddy. Okay, diehard Jets fan. Um, but there's a little part of you that has to respect Bill Belichick, right? A, really a very small part it, of me. It hurts you to say it, but you got to yeah. admit the results are very there. Very small. Well, uh, imagine now that you have to find a way. You're going up against the Desert Fox. A mate, probably one of the greatest guys on that on the Nazi side. He was a, he was an amazing guy, Erwin Rommel, uh, absolutely brilliant. Now, what's crazy too is that we're at war, and he's getting compliments from uh, Winston Churchill, and the Americans are talking about, it, and they're just like, "Man, the, this guy, hey, let's not take this lightly." Rommel's not here to fuck around. But then uh, there's also this ridiculous uh, press campaign. Uh, Rommel's oddly. Uh, Finally reported on by the British and American papers, he had earned a reputation as an able commander, the most brilliant tank commander in the world, a chivalrous man who fought a clean war, and this is the quote from the British papers, an all-around decent chap. All right? Jeez. Was it possible it, he had a, he was an impending free agent? That's a <laughs> And they were thinking of getting him to our side? Uh, that's beautiful. Well, uh, when you have to go up against your uh, your men here, because Rommel is uh, beloved by his men. So you got Fred and Dahl, whose men already make fun of him and call him a pussy. Then you have Rommel, who's beloved by his men and considered to be a brilliant field commander, unlike Lloyd, who has not yet led men into battle. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got, Kara? No. Oh, I thought you did. She leaned in like she had some. I'm sorry. Um, now, Rommel, uh, he gets all this good coverage in the papers. They later show that that was actually done by uh, uh, Goebbels, that uh, he wanted to make sure that, the, that if we can just focus on – if you're losing to Rommel, then it's it's not really a dishonor because it's like, oh, well, we tried. We, we hung in close with the Patriots, but we just couldn't beat them. But we played a good game, yeah. and then the Patriots are still going to win the division. So, <laughs> um, Again. Yeah, there's a, way of, uh, there's a way of spinning that they like to do. But uh, Rommel leads uh, his Panzer tank divisions. Now, you want to talk about a modern marvel. It's very weird because you don't ever want to um, praise the Nazis. It's, let's be very clear about that. Um, but you have to be in awe of the German war machine. That whole Blitzkrieg thing they were doing, the Panzer tanks were the best tanks, the best mm-hmm. machine guns. They literally had – if the U.S. didn't get involved in the war, Germany was so far ahead of a lot of the British and French stuff that it wasn't even going to be a contest. I mean – Nobody wants to talk about this. When you talk about the numbers game, the Germans never really had a decisive uh, uh, numbers advantage. They were just very good at what they did. It's terrifying. So um, it gets interesting because now the Panzer tank divisions are brought in to attack the American defensive forces holding a little stretch of uh, uh, in between the Atlas Mountains and Tunisia known as Kasserine Pass. All right? That's thought to be absolutely critical to the success of the campaign. Now, when you have a goal line defense – and you have a guy who's uh, – you have a team that you're playing up against that has a killer running back. You stack the box, uh-huh. right? You get everybody up front. That way when they run the ball, you can stuff them, right? Or like Kerry said, you uh, inadvise – you know, <laughs> you go ahead and throw and then you lose. You throw you know, a pick that costs Seattle the second Super Bowl. <laughs> Wind up a yard short. Yeah. Didn't really go good for them on that. But um, – so the idea was that if you could stack the box, you could stop the running backs here. But what they did is uh, Lloyd Frendall, so fucking stupid. Uh, there's really just no defense for it. Very thinly lays out all of his men and spreads the line so wide that the men are going to be easily overrun. And then if they are being overrun, the line is spread so thin that the guys who would you know do a counterattack to try to stop the advance can't even relieve the other lines because they're so spread out they can't see. Right. And I guess because he flunked out of West Point, has his own language made up as to what everything is. Like grid points are, <laughs> oh, this place She's is right. called C. Yeah. Yep. 
He was uh, no one understood it. Well, he was also a diva of generals. <laughs> well, he was um, he was a diva too. He didn't like working with anybody else. So the other commanders that are in there, he's not dealing with them, and he's like, oh, they're here to steal my glory or whatever. I'm running the show. And uh, when you don't visit the lines, you can't even see obvious things, right? So imagine if you're uh, the coach of a football team, because we keep going back to this reference. I apologize if, you don't, if you're not a sports fan. <laughs> um, but uh, you can't even see – you're not even coming to practice, and then you're not even watching the games. And you're just like, hey, why are we losing? It's like, you're not oh. here, dude. But uh, our boy Lloyd had taken a very weak defense. Uh, that guy. He's dumb, dude. Uh, this makes the lines very easy to overrun like we talked about. Lloyd – uh, as the uh, Rommel, the Desert Fox's uh, brilliant panzer divisions are marching towards the very weak American lines. And these guys haven't seen combat yet, really, for the most part. Lloyd is uh, right there in the thick of it with his men. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. He's 60 miles behind camp <laughs> in his very comfortable camp that Eisenhower even had to get. Uh, they Essentially, what they, they mock it as is they say that uh, his headquarters was built like the Pope Mobile. Jeez. That, that's, that's what he was pretty much. And Eisenhower had to see the place and go, hey, just so you guys know, uh, it is important that I know we're all generals here, but we do have to assume some risk on the battlefield. You know, you can't really – you can't be this much of a pussy. <laughs> Fred and all showing up for battle wrapped up in bubble wrap. You know what I mean? That's what he's sitting there for. Yeah, his biggest battle was trying to get a Cadillac made. Exactly. Uh, yes, true. Also yeah, A true. bulletproof Cadillac. Talk about that. Uh, he just – he was trying to copy Eisenhower with his bulletproof Cadillac, and he kept on making calls to Oran, like, where's my Cadillac? And So you're more worried about that than your own men's safety right now? Well, it's like you said, too, is that um, since Eisenhower was beneath him in rank pre-war, and it was a, a wartime promotion that put Eisenhower over him, he's like, well, if Eisenhower has one, why don't I have one? <laughs> oh, so our boy Lloyd's a douchebag, but... Um, he's 60 miles behind, comfortable in his camp, and often out of communication with his field officers. Rommel's a brilliant tactician to begin with, has the devastating panzers. They turn the Battle of Kasserine Pass into a decisive German route, victory for the Afrika Corps, with K as they spelt it. <laughs> so if you want to look at a cool uniform too, by the way, the German, the Nazi Germans uh, uh, Afrika Corps uniform was really cool looking. A lot of that, it's woodland camo and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but it blends in. I mean, they, they were ahead of the game on a lot of stuff, I mean. Um, they were well dressers. I mean, they really they look sharp. Isn't that hilarious too? Where it's the they're the the most. Um, uh, I mean, there's a truly diabolical nature to the SS, but then you see their outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I can understand why people joined. They yeah. looked great. We love to dress. That's the thing. We dress <laughs> to impress, and then we also they have an undue influence. We have to get rid of them. <laughs> Is it better than the winged hussars? Uh, it's up there, man. It's very uh, fascinating with that stuff. Now, um, but is it better? The, uh, better, no, I would argue. But uh, the route here at Kasserine Pass uh, infuriates Eisenhower, who's already hearing these horrible reports on the morale of the men under Lloyd. Um, it's not good when the feedback was – they literally said, uh, to a man, uh, he has lost all confidence in Fred and Dahl as their commander. Nobody believes in this guy anymore. So they also talk about how uh, they call him a moral and physical coward and that Lloyd is unapproachable in his tendencies. Unapproachable is the worst word you can get called in the military. If they call you unapproachable, that means you fucked up and nobody wants to work with you. And when that happens, you're, it's a very short leash and you're about to get a lot of shitty duty assignments. <laughs> well, they had someone come in and essentially assess him as a general. Yes. And then offered that guy the position to replace him. And he was like, well, that's kind of unfair. I just – assessed him yeah don't you can't um you can't replace me uh you can't replace somebody with their biggest critic right without admit looking uh, uh immoral if you will but 
we're in comedy, Ted. So uh, that's that's the first thing people do. Hey, uh, how is that comedy show at this venue? Um, how about I come in and for a hundred dollars less, <laughs> I'll I fix give, it. I'll give you four more comedians. <laughs> yeah, fucking Missy Allen. Um, <laughs> I don't care. I got no no respect on that one. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, now Eisenhower is furious over here, and the loss of Casserine Pass breaks the camel's back. Uh, now, it was a great quote we were talking about earlier, uh, some of the stuff that comes out of Patton's mouth. But on March 5th, 1943, after his success over uh, – with his part of the uh, the command, Eisenhower, the supreme allied commander, flies to Tabessa to inform Fredendahl that he's being relieved of command and that General George Patton will now be taking over. So don't let the door kick you in the ass on the way out. But they had to phrase it a certain way because you, you have to protect these egos and Fredendahl still has some powerful friends. So the decision is masked as a mere change of assignment to Fredendahl. So imagine that as a comedian. Hey, uh, you've been headlining a lot. Have you tried hosting? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like headlining, but you do a third of the time, and most of it's announcements about how to better enjoy the show. And we'll give you $50. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a third of the pay. Um, (laughs) But uh, the decision to uh, uh, make it a change of assignment for Fredendahl. Patton arrived to assume the command while Fredendahl was at breakfast. Nobody really knows if Fredendahl is aware I think it's one of those things where he hides it, right? He hides it. He's like, oh, well, it's just a change of command. They need me back here because I'm an excellent trainer. <laughs> so, yeah, they, I'm not really doing much over in Africa. It's, you know, it's not a big part of the war. But uh, we got this huge thing coming up called D-Day, so I got to go prep the boys for that. Uh, so he plays that character, but he knows in his heart that he's being replaced because uh, he's a disgrace as a field commander. So uh, Fredendahl's at breakfast when uh, Patton walks in there. The two men had not liked one another. Uh, since they were both officers back at Point, uh, Fort Benning. And uh, Patton conducted the change of command with honor, and Lloyd was sent back to the United States. So they, they kept him. They gave him like a good handshake and said, hey, you did the best you could, right? It's not bad. So they're not really trying to kick him while he's down here. But you got to get this guy the fuck out of command. <laughs> so uh, Patton kind of thought that uh, due to the war in Africa uh, becoming a tank affair, Patton just assumed he was being put in charge because he knew more about tanks. We're going to cover this on the second episode here. Um, uh, not of this uh, – we're going to f- finish up Fredendahl here. But the next episode of the show that we're doing is about Pancho Villa. All right. Pancho Villa, uh, General Blackjack Pershing, was sent on an expedition to hunt him down. He was a Mexican revolutionary. And his right-hand man was George Patton. So Patton cut his teeth in mobile warfare for the first time that the Americans ever used uh, automobiles. So he knows a shitload about tanks. He's been there since the ground floor. So they bring Patton over, man. Patton wrote fondly of the quality character Fredendahl showed during the change of command and presumed that he had only been put in command, like I said, because it was a tank affair. And also later wrote to his wife, he said, you know, um, I just think that poor Lloyd Fredendahl was just put in a position where he couldn't succeed and uh, he's being replaced by, you know, circumstances beyond his control. Within a week, within a week of inspecting the new command, he wrote to his wife, Fredendahl has done nothing to justify his existence. Oh, jeez. Oh. That's dark. All right, that's heavy. So, Patton's position in command. Now, you want to talk about getting the right guy for I'm the sorry, right I'd job. I'd punch you in the mouth if someone said that to me. <laughs> like, full on, just rage over my eyes. I would come to later on and be like, what the fuck just happened? Well, that's, uh, that's nerve-wracking too, man, because it's like uh, if um, – if Carrie learns how to be a sound engineer, imagine that. She's going to start trying to push you out of this show. Yep. That might be why I'm here. Here comes the left turn. She's been paying a lot of attention. <laughs> you can't see it, but Kahuna just switched her mic off. It's fucking funny. 
<laughs> That's the first thing you'll learn. Yeah. Um, so here's – If she thinks I'm putting it back on, she is sorely mistaken. Well, here's where it gets great, man, because now you know you got the right guy for the right job, and he makes things happen right away. This is fantastic. Patton's position and command quickly changes the attitude of the Allied and Axis forces. First thing he does, gets his men better food. All right? He's not – so you got a guy, a pussy, showing up in bubble wrap like Lloyd Fredendahl. And then you got a guy on the front lines like Patton who's like, my dog's here. I drove my Jeep here. I carry two pistols. What the fuck? Let's go kick the shit out of some of these goddamn Huns. And uh, it kind of changes the way you look at things. Yeah. So they're almost bringing in a Bill Parcells type guy who's going to talk shit to his players and kind of check your attitude at the door kind of a thing. Okay. So I love that about him. This, some of the quotes I'm about to read here from Patton, we'll call them Pattonisms. All right. Um, the Allies are no longer worried uh, if they're good enough to beat the German army. Now Patton's telling them, we're going to beat the German army. The propaganda machine that was behind Rommel, that was uh, in, you know, from Goebbels all the way in Germany to uh, you know, getting these fond reports written about him in the British and American papers, there's a new guy in town. All right? We're not really you know, going to sit here and be like, well, Rommel's just so great. Isn't he awesome how the way he kicks the shit out of us? We're going to counter you with our own Rommel. So we got old blood and guts now, fucking Patton himself. You want to talk about a guy that's instantly quotable, uh, larger than life to begin with. Here's some of these quotes. May God have mercy upon my enemies because I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, my God. If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. It is foolish and wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God such men lived. And this one's my favorite here. Success is how high you bounce when you hit rock bottom. Hmm. That's a fucking decent one right there, man. That, uh, that, on one's actually, that one's actually not bad. <laughs> I, I hate that I actually kind of like that one. Well, uh, and then his most famous quote, too. The object of war is not to die for your country. It's to make the other bastard die for his. That's a good point. That's, I'm sorry. I have That's a man crush on Patton. Point. My hair is on my arms are standing up. Um, my uncle served under Patton. No shit. Yeah, I had an uncle who served under Patton. And uh, wow. he said the guy was amazing. And he said, but, I mean, some of the stuff I saw was so horrific. <laughs> And he said, but he was the kind of guy, like, if he told you and you knew you were going to die, and he said, you have to go over there now. And we're just like, all right. Because you believed in him so much that follow him into hell. you would go anywhere with him because they knew that he would do the same for his men. So in a battle royale between Rommel and Patton, who do you think would win? I mean, Fred you're talking, uh, you're talking, uh, <laughs> Fred and Dahl would win. You're talking Brett the Hitman Hart versus Stone wow. Cold Steve Austin. That's what you're getting out of here. So it's the excellence of execution, Erwin Rommel, uh, versus, uh, American badass Stone Cold Steve Austin, aka Patton. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm Cold, putting my money on Patton. He, uh, now here's what's fascinating too. Patton actually, uh, was, he would study German warfare. And so he knew what they were doing. And there's that great quote from the, the movie. He goes, uh, Rommel, you son of a bitch, I read your book. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're sitting there and you're reading the plays, you know, you know what so you're So it's gonna... like reading the playbook of the other team. Yeah, yeah. studying a little bit of time here. Ooh, mm. a Spygate reference. Good for you, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, now here's how you know Patton's great, man. He becomes an American legend almost overnight, turns around the Allied war effort in Africa, makes a success. Even Rommel himself comments on Patton's impact about how quickly the Americans learned to fight the war on an even playing field. One of Rommel's comments was that uh, British experience was quickly combined with American equipment, and that was the doom for them over in Africa, and that Patton's mobile offensive that forced Rommel out of – I'm sorry, Patton's mobile offensive that forced Rommel out of Africa was the most astonishing achievement in mobile warfare I have ever seen. That's Rommel saying, man, you look beautiful beating the shit out of me. <laughs> Finally, it's a fight. 
So it is finally a fight. Now, Patton, then, uh, because you had success over in Africa, you're now able to invade Italy. Very cool story over there. Mitch. You get into Sicily, get into Italy. Now you're back in the Mediterranean. They make their fight into Europe. They uh, Patton himself, actually, with the Third Army, uh, breaks the Nazi stand over at the Battle of the Bulge, relieves the 101st Airborne, who to this day will tell you they never asked to be rescued by Patton. They, <laughs> they were holding the line just fine. But Patton breaks through the line, and that's like the last stand for them, the Battle of the Bulge here. Uh, Patton also makes it into Germany himself. So Fredendahl, 60 miles behind line <laughs> in the comfort of his uh, Grand Hotel of Oran, as Kerry mm-hmm. said. Um, yeah, he's not uh, – he wasn't going to be the guy to get you to the promised land. I think you made the right call with Patton because he's in Germany at this point. Um, it gets a little bit crazier here too. He's now in Germany itself. Fredendahl, uh, sent back overseas in various training commands, was never allowed to lead men into combat again for the rest of his career. Good. <laughs> He received a hero's welcome upon his return because they got to spin it a certain way. They can't say, here's our disgraced Lloyd Fredendahl because you'll ruin his career. I heard they bust in crowds to cheer for him. It would <laughs> Is that true? Are you fucking around? I can't no, even tell. Around. Oh, my God. It's believable. <laughs> it's really believable. It's, it's like a- halftime show at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Listen, man, in the beginning, Trump paid people to attend his rallies. It sounded legit yeah, it's for not a second. It's a history podcast. It's like in the studio, they light up the applause sign and everyone has to applause. So that's what's crazy. Wait, uh, Carrie, that's you, actually excellent. That's so true. As soon as you find out, too, that uh, like Teddy was saying, that if once you realize that the people on the field at the halftime shows for the Super Bowl, once you realize they can't hear the music that's being played, it changes everything because you're just like, oh, wow. It's like when a rock band plays at the MTV Music Awards and everybody who's paid in the front is waving. Their, people are just rocking out. And you're like, you don't even know who Nine Inch Nails is. Exactly. There's no way you know who Nine Inch Nails is. Look at you. You're 13. <laughs> but That's like with the, the recent – I think it was last year. They had Aerosmith perform with Post Malone. <laughs> And literally most of the comments that I saw on Twitter were, who the fuck is Aerosmith? And I was just like, no. That well, is such a weird no. mix. It's a, it's an interesting it, one. It was it was an odd mashup, but I wouldn't. Still. Uh, yeah, now uh, always always good when you're hanging out with guys with face. Just tattoos. get the dog and the frisbee again, please. <laughs> <laughs> Fifteen minutes. Throw the dog. He's exhausted. We start the second half, and everybody's into it. That yeah. was the other part too. Who doesn't love that? You're right there. Now I just want to wrap up on uh, our boy uh, uh, Fred and Doll here, because uh, th- this kind of this this warm away at my soul a little bit. Receives a hero's welcome upon his return to the States. And since he was never formally admonished by Eisenhower, uh, there's no paper record of being like, hey, you're out of command because you're a fucking idiot because he, he pretended. He goes, hey, dude, need you for this other thing. You know, try to be delicate with him. Because of that, Fredendahl gets promoted again. Yeah. So uh, they kept um, – his failure was a well-kept secret and it was easy to chalk up a loss to the Desert Fox. Oh, we lost to Rommel. So at least you played him tight, right? Didn't really play him tight. Gets retired. Uh, I'm sorry. Gets promoted. Like I said, one more time over here. He's running all the schools. He retires from the army uh, after the war's end on March 31st, 1946. That's when he retires. Fredendahl received mostly positive press coverage until the end of the war, when more knowledge started to become available. Because <laughs> you sent him over, he's like, "Oh yeah, it was great over there. We had a great time. Loved everybody. It was a good time, man. Honestly, I would do it again if I could." And then the guys that got rid of him come back home. They're like, "He was a fucking idiot." <laughs> They start talking about him. His biographers have noted that he failed to live up to his own tough-talking uh, nature and bravado. So there's almost like um, – there's a little bit of this too where – and I'm not picking on Rex Ryan because I actually love Rex Ryan. I think he's a defensive genius. 
But there's almost like that thing, like that the Jets knew they had to move on when Rex lost the locker room. That's right. So as soon as you lose your people, man, you're out of there. That bravado thing, the tough talk, nobody's listening anymore. So uh, that's what Fred does. He presents himself as a hero. He's actually giving away brides at weddings. He's getting all this fawning press coverage. And then somebody writes a sarcastic comment about him, like, oh, a World War II hero, in quotes, uh, Lloyd Frendo. <laughs> and because of uh, that, because he finally started getting a little bit of bad press, he stopped talking to them completely and kind of moves himself out of uh, the limelight, if you will. Now, uh, some of the people that came back over here, not a good quote when uh, somebody uh, called him. He goes, you know what, Frendal, he was a real son of a bitch. I would never follow that man into combat ever again in my life. They called him a moral and physical coward. Coward doesn't have – the uh, the oomph on it today that it used to, but if they called you a coward back in the day, you were a spineless yeah. gut. I mean, you were. Th- that's the worst thing you could you don't possibly think so? do. You don't think being called a coward now is as it doesn't have the same weight to it? Well, they try to be like, well, I'm just being smarter, man, because I'm not risking my life. It's also it, thrown around a lot more now. Yeah. I would agree. You yeah. know, back Loosely. then when you said coward. You really thought about before you called somebody a coward. It's the original c word. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I think you're right, too, because when you call somebody a coward, they've insulted your honor. You now have to defend your honor. Uh-huh. And if you sit there and take it, um, then that's like the absolute word. But now there's this idea of like, whatever, man, yeah. you know, kind of that. That's just like your opinion. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Best comedy of all time. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Lloyd proves actually that he is a great administrator and a trainer, but an absolute failure as a field commander. Well, he was the first guy. The, uh, they also called him one of the most inept senior officers to hold a high <laughs> command during World War II. Wow. Yeah, not good. Not good. Uh, he is the first of seven high-ranked commanders to be relieved of combat command and sent back stateside. Uh, almost all the other ones were for medical reasons. So he's the only oh. one that was like, oh, yeah, uh, you we got to get rid of him too. Yeah, uh, it pr- turns out uh, he's got shit for brains. That's your medical issue. You suck. So as Patton is going on to win the war – uh, and literally in Germany right now, uh, slayed the Hun. Uh, Lloyd is back stateside the entire time. I think it's safe to say that Eisenhower made the right decision. Finally. That's <laughs> <laughs> this uh, episode is going to come out on Tuesday here, Ted. Is there any gigs or anything you want to p- uh, plug or promote? Where can people find you? Social media, anything? You can find me in Manalpin, just <laughs> hanging around. <laughs> I'm actually off the next couple of weeks, which is great. So I'm, Excellent, I'm man. Just, uh, uh, check out Ted if you can, man. He uh, works most frequently for the comedy shop and uh, just a quality group of people over there, man. So love working for you guys. Uh, we had a goddamn blast on Friday, man. That oh, was a good one. What a great show. And you're here on your birthday. You're giving up time with your family here to be with us. So I, that is not lost on me. I appreciate you. Well, you've seen my family. So. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm only kidding. No, nah, man, you were great. And you've been listening to the show, too, which yes. I appreciate. So um, was there anything else uh, you wanted to throw in there? No, just that I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Um, learned a lot about Lloyd. What a douchebag. Every right? time I hear Lloyd, I think of the scene in The Shining. Well, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, had a great time. I always hear, uh, as soon as I'm hearing it, I, I picture uh, Entourage when uh, Ari would yell at uh, his, his Asian <laughs> assistant, Lloyd! Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, Cahoon, do you got anything for us behind the ones and twos? Do you want to plug your other podcast? Uh, nah. We're on our current, we're currently on our seasonal break, but we'll be airing the two last episodes we recorded this Tuesday and uh, then the following Tuesday. Cahoon is on hiatus, baby. Yeah, I'm on it's vacation. Not bad, brother. I'm happy you're here, That's man. That's why he's sitting here in his underwear and just <laughs> no yeah. shirt. That is the only, if we could just get him to wear pants, he'd be that much better it's of a so sound awesome. engineer. Is that what that smell is? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Wow, look, look whose mic is back on. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Karen, back off. Hey, how you doing? 
doing? What's going on? Oh my god! Carrie. And it was at that moment Carrie realized, yeah, she was fired from the American Lizard <laughs> podcast. Well, uh, final quick question here for you, Carrie Burke. Uh, is there any? Uh, where can they find you? What aisle are you going to be working in? Yeah, I have no. <laughs> Turn the sound off. <laughs> I have no gigs coming up whatsoever. Do you have any gigs ever? Uh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, not bad. No, Carrie, nothing Carrie's very funny. She's just not a comedian. She's more well-adjusted than me. Funny looking. Um, that being said, guys, if you like the show, I, I love doing this show. We lose money every time we do it. I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking you to do me a favor. Tip just him. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's all I'm asking. I get pe- people write. You can write a funny ass review too, man. There's a couple of funny ones. Brad Frizzell, I think I'm saying his name, wrote a super funny one. He called me the Fran Drescher of comedians. <laughs> uh, he actually wrote. Uh, he goes, I think you're. Um, he's probably overpaid in the clubs and underpaid for the podcast. And I'm happy to tell you, I am underpaid for both, sir. <laughs> I operated a deficit here on the show. But uh, if you love the show, man, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes. We're going to be on the Laughable app now. We're trying to grow this son of a bitch if we can. We have fun with it. And uh, you can check me out at uh, at KP Burke Sucks on Twitter and Instagram. There is an official American Loser uh, Instagram account now. We put up some of the visual elements of the show. So if you guys are into that stuff, man, I really uh, – anything you can do to help me out, just follow it. I'll follow you back, okay? I look to see if you're a Russian uh, model. You know what I mean? Like a, some sort of a hack spam account. If you're one of those, I'll still follow you. All right? <laughs> I got no dignity. And the show is trending over in Russia, by the way. So to all of our brothers over there, Nostrovia. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> We are uh, the infrastructure of America is crumbling. I will be at Thatcher McGee's uh, this coming Tuesday, so the episode is coming out on Tuesday. Uh, if you're hearing this and you want to come hang out, it's uh, Thatcher McGee's over in West Caldwell. Stop We're raising bragging. money for a good cause. Uh, this is the one I'm excited about. I want to get. So one of my good friends in comedy is Lynn Coplitz, one of the, the funniest fucking comics ever. She's a legend, uh, and she's actually going to be bringing me with her Thursday, Friday, and Sunday over to uh, Levity Live in West Nyack. I'm going to be oh, featuring nice. for her uh, on all the shows there. So it's a show Thursday, two Friday, and a Sunday. There's two shows on the Saturday over there. I can't do them. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm actually going to be opening up for Bobby Kelly for the first time. Who, uh, one of your favorites, right, Dad? I love Bobby Kelly. You worked with him a couple of times. Yes. Eh? Fucking just a gem of a What town brain. is the Lynn Coplitz? Uh, uh, Copl- it's West Nyack. West Nyack, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. And that's why I love Teddy. Um but we got that going on. And then also uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend uh, on the Thursday uh, before St. Patrick's going to be at John and Peter's over in, I think, New Hope, Pennsylvania. Yes, New Hope. Uh, real good time over there. And then on the uh, 15th and 16th, I will be on uh, all the shows with Dave Landau from the Anthony Cumia Show nice. over at uh, Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights. Uh, this is the time of year where uh, I get booked a lot uh, because uh, people are racist and they need an Irish comedian for their shows in March. So. Uh. <laughs> But uh, that being said, man, we have a great time. So I want to thank all my guests, uh, Teddy, Kerry, love you guys. It's uh, it, this this group feels like family today, so that's great. And then uh, Cahoon's this show does not happen without you, brother. So thank you. No problem. And thank man. you to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe Studio, guys. My name is KP Burke, and that was Lloyd Fredendahl, American Loser. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born